Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Monday, Sunday Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice wrapping up the NFL draft for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Nathan and Steven, that's Nathan Baird and Steven Means, will be along shortly. We already gave you what happened in round one when three Buckeyes went. Only three more Buckeyes drafted after that. Zach Harrison in round three. Dewan Jones in round four. And Luke Whipler in round six. That's six Buckeyes drafted. They also had six drafted Last year. So this is a little bit of a dip. The previous years for Ohio State, we're going to run through some numbers here. Then Nathan and Steve and I uh, dig in deep on Zach Harrison to the Atlanta Falcons, on Dewan Jones and Luke Whipler, both kind of crazily to the Cleveland Browns. And then I'll come back at the end and I'll wrap up some of the guys that didn't get picked. But I want to put this in context because this was an excellent draft for the Big Ten. So excellent. I'm not sure why they're not trumpeting it. I don't know what the Big Ten does sometimes. I feel like sometimes all they care about is TV contracts and chemistry labs. And sometimes I feel like I should be their director of talking about football. We already do their preseason poll for them because they're incompetent and unwilling to do that. So maybe I should put out a press release for the Big Ten. I think it's possible this is the most Big Ten draft picks ever. And if you've seen that information somewhere, great, because I certainly can't find it. I certainly as heck didn't find it on the Big Ten website. They had 55 draft picks, the Big Ten did, in this draft. Now, that's second to the SEC, but that's a strong second to the SEC. And they often are not a strong second in that category. The SEC had 62 picks this year. The Big Ten had 55. I'm going to give you a little context here. Last year, it was 65-48. So the first number is SEC overall picks. The second number is Big Ten overall picks. This year is 62-55. Last year, 65-48. 2021, 65-44. 2020, 63-48. 2019, 64-40. 2018, 53-33. 2013, which I mentioned in another capacity at the first round, 63 to 22. In 2013, the SEC almost tripled the Big Ten's total draft picks. 
Now it's only seven apart. It's 62-55. 55 is the most that I can find going back 20 years. The Big Ten, run it through quick, right? It's just numbers. 2004-44. Now I'm going to give you the last 20 years of Big Ten overall draft picks. 44, 30, 41, 32, 28, 28, 34, 29, 41, 22, 30, 35, 47, and 2016. That's the huge Ohio State group, 12 picks from Ohio State. 35, 33, 40, 48, 44, 48, 55. This is a great draft for the Big Ten. It is not a great draft, not a great deep draft. For Ohio State, which it means even more for the Big Ten that the, that the Ohio State picks didn't have to completely carry the load. And there is a main point I want to get to in a second. But everybody from the Big Ten had someone picked except Indiana, which is why Tom Allen probably needs to be fired. But like a good, hearty round of picks. And Michigan actually led the way. Michigan had nine. Penn State and Ohio State with six each. Maryland and Purdue, five each. Illinois, Northwestern, Iowa, four each. Wisconsin, Michigan State, Minnesota, three each. Nebraska, two. Rutgers, one. So that is really good. And there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of the 14 teams had a pick in the first two rounds. That's amazing for the Big Ten. Ten of the 14 teams had a pick in the first two rounds. So this is a great draft for the Big Ten. So what does this mean? The Big Ten's getting better. Everybody needs to. Everybody has raised their game. This is probably worth digging in later on a podcast. Did Urban Meyer raise the level of Ohio State recruiting that is now being reflected in the NFL draft? I think the answer is pretty resoundingly yes. You saw that 2016, right? That 2016 draft, that's the 2013 recruiting class, those third-year guys. That's like the Joey Bosa recruiting class, right? Right. That's when it jumps to 47. But now the fact that it's been five straight years in the 40s for the Big Ten, when before that they were often in the 30s, that feels like a reflection of Urban Meyer raising the level. It really does to me. I mean, that might be simplified, and there's probably credit to go around for other like Big Ten network money leading to better coaching hires and retaining assistants and overall better programs leading to better recruiting, leading to better development, leading to better NFL draft production but 55 for the big 10 is no joke man so it is not great for ohio state so six and six is fine they're gonna have more next year which we've covered and i do think later this week this is going to be your sunday slash monday podcast there probably won't be another monday podcast i think the next podcast will be tuesday dealing with the transfer portal what's happening with ohio state and then wednesday we're going to predict the 2024 draft class for Ohio State, because we did that a year ago, predicting 2023 on that podcast on Wednesday. We'll talk about how we did with the year out predictions, but we'll do those year out predictions. They're going to have a lot of picks because they have a lot of guys who stayed in school who could have gone in this draft, right? So that's part of it. But the other thing here is that the defense is not good enough. And the NFL draft reflected this. So Jim Knowles bringing in a $2 million defensive coordinator. He's been there two seasons now. Um, no, he's been there one season now that I just did spring football. So that's part of it. But also the talent level is just kind of showing up here. Six draft picks each of the last two years for Ohio State. One defensive guy each of the last two years. So the only two defensive players drafted for Ohio State, Tyreek Smith was the only guy last year in the fifth round. Zach Harrison 
is the Zach Smith. Zach Harrison is the only guy this year in the third round. So does that mean they didn't have any good players? No. It means some guys like Denzel Burke and JT Tuimolowau and Tommy Eichenberg and Lathan Ransom, guys who made impacts the last two years, aren't yet in the draft. But it also means there's been a dip in recruiting that's being reflected here. There's been a dip in recruiting and development and success, which means to fewer guys being drafted. So these are defensive guys drafted for Ohio State in the last 15 years. One each in 23 and 22. 2021, there were five, and here's the numbers going back from that. Seven, three, five, four, six, two, three, two, kind of zero because Nate Ebner was drafted really as a special teams guy. That was in 2012. He technically is listed as a safety, but he really never was. He was a special teamer. Five, four, four. So in the last 15 years, the only other year was 2012 that they had one or fewer defensive guy drafted, and it's been each of the last two years. It's happened. So... That needs to be fixed, and it's going to be fixed because between JT Tuimolo-Lowell, Denzel Burke, Jack Sawyer, Tommy Eichenberg, Mike Hall, guys like that, they're going to have multiple defensive guys picked a year ago. But if you're asking yourself, why wasn't the defense as good? The NFL's telling you. The NFL's telling you kind of what you already knew. And one of the other things is compared to Michigan, I went back and I, I looked at the players – who defensively in the 2021 Michigan-Ohio State game, okay, the first time Michigan beat Ohio State, Aiden Hutchinson and those Wolverines. Anybody who played 20 snaps or more in that game only on defense. There were 16 Ohio State guys who played 20 snaps or more on defense that year. Eight of them are still in college. Some of them aren't here, like Bryson Shaw, Javante Jean-Baptiste. They're not at Ohio State, but they're not in the draft yet. So eight still in college, six undrafted for Ohio State, and only two drafted. Michigan had 13 guys in that game who played 20 snaps or more defensively. Three of them are still in school. Five were not drafted, and five were drafted. Aiden Hutchinson, David Ojabo last year. DJ Turner, cornerback, went in the second round this year. Got like Junior Colson still at Michigan, a good linebacker is going to be there. So anyway, Michigan's had better defensive talent than Ohio State the past two years which is part of why they won. And the draft is showing you this. And now Ohio State, these guys are going to grow up and they're going to be drafted defensively a year from now. But it's just some context here. Overall, Ohio State, also this, I don't know how you want to spin this. And I think it does require a spin because it's like, how do you how do you decide to look at it? Ohio State had the fewest draft picks of the four playoff teams. So is it like, wow, Ohio State overachieved. This talentless Ohio State team Made the playoff in a world where Georgia had 10 picks, Michigan had nine, and TCU had eight, and Ohio State only had six. Oh, the underdog Buckeyes, the try-hard Buckeyes. Or it's like, oh my gosh, like what are we doing here? So top-heavy, top-heavy. It's kind of odd to have three of the first 20 picks with C.J. Stroud, Paris Johnson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, and then three the rest of the draft. But that's how it went down. So overall, Bama and Georgia each had 10, Michigan 9, TCU 8, and then there were 17 with 6, Ohio State, Penn State, Florida, Clemson, Oregon, Pitt, LSU. So still a good showing, but not a great showing. And 20 and 21 was 10 and 10 overall picks. 22 and 23 is 6 and 6. Must raise the level of defensive talent. Think it has happened, but this is the dip. It's the dip we talked about when Kerry Combs left. It's the dip we talked about 
in the transition from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day. There was a defensive dip in talent that Ohio State fans must hope is over. I think it is over because when you think about how good the 2021 recruiting class was, JT2, Moloal, Denzel Burke, Jack Sawyer, those guys like that, they're going to be third-year guys on this defense and then be in the draft next year. So it feels like it's fixed, but it was real. And you saw it on the field. But if you're asking like, oh, you know, the scheme and all, we always, 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 always on this podcast talked about it. It's also a talent issue. It's not just the scheme. So that was borne out in this draft. And that has to change. And there's reason to expect that it will. So that's the context of this draft for the Big Ten. 55! It's like a great draft for Purdue. It's a great draft for Maryland at five guys picked. Illinois had three defenders in the first three rounds, one each in the first, second, and third rounds. That's awesome. And this is a good draft for Michigan. One first rounder, two second rounders, and a third rounder. So the talent is there, and USC and UCLA are coming. And, um, you know, the Big Ten, I think it's good. I don't need – I mean, I, the, B, the Big Ten should do its own PR, but if they want, then I guess I will. So I think it's good for the Big Ten. But Ohio State needs to make sure it stays on its P's and Q's because it's not as much of a walkover as it once was. 2009, 28 picks from the Big Ten. 2023, there's 55, right? That's just like a huge change. Okay, when we come back, Nathan, Stephen, and I will talk about Zach Harrison. We'll talk about Dewan Jones. We'll talk about Luke Whippler. And then I'll come back at the end and wrap up some other stuff. But we're going to do it all next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug, Nathan, Steven, now talking about these Ohio State guys. One that went as expected, like exactly as expected. And two, that we are somewhere between moderately surprised and almost shocked about how it went. So we'll start with the guy that wound up being the fourth Buckeye off the board, Zach Harrison. And when we talked about him on our preview podcast, we said, uh, Nathan, you had Zach Harrison going 71. Steven, you had him going 84. I had him going 86. And I said on the pod, if you could make a bet that Zach Harrison would go in the 70s or 80s, if that was a prop bet, I would make that bet. And he went 75th and uh, to Atlanta. Nathan, as we'll get into in a second, the Browns picked 74th, and it felt like, whoo-hoo-hoo, the Browns could use an edge guy. Maybe he's going there. That's The Browns didn't go there. They took a receiver 74, and he goes 75 to Atlanta. Was Zach, did Zach Harrison just follow the most normal draft path that you could have, and there's nothing to say? Well, certainly relative to the rest of this Ohio State class, yeah, I think this was pretty cut and dry. But that, this is exactly where I think it makes a lot of sense, right? Probably not, you know, not a day one guy. Not not enough of an edge rusher to justify day one status, but enough of an athletic upside and stuff that he demonstrated in the pre-draft process that I think told teams that there's something here that they can put in the defense and have success with. I'm very curious to find out, and maybe we'll hear from him at some point, whether he was able to go on individual visits, if he ever got to run the 40, because he was so psyched about running the 40 when we saw him that day, Doug, and he wasn't able to do it at the combine. He wasn't able to do it at pro day. Did he get healthy enough to run the number he was looking for? And did that help keep him up at that point of the draft? Because I did think there was a part of me that also wondered if he would slip into the early fourth or something, just because if, if he wasn't able to get out there and do as much as he wanted to in the, in the draft process, but there were other things that he did put on 
in black and white, obviously the, the height and weight, the arm length, the bench press that goes along with that, the wingspan, like those things, he had demonstrated exactly what he was as an athlete. Steven, this just makes sense, right? This just makes sense in the end for Zach Harrison. Yeah, it, it does. It's about one Q, a guy who was pretty good in his career, but not necessarily great. I kind of wrote a story about the idea of you know him being a guy who can go in this area, like we've seen Terry McLaurin go. Sam Hubbard has gone here. Jerome Baker has gone in this. Jerry Jones, and they've ended up having pretty solid careers. And so I think he can be another one of those guys. But uh, just kind of looking it up here, Larry Johnson. As much as we want to talk about the Bosa's and the Chase Youngs being top five picks and the first defensive players taken off the board. Larry Johnson lives in the seventies just as much as he lives in those Bosa ranges. Uh, Sam Hubbard was 77. Draymond Jones was 71. Uh, Davon Hamilton, 73. So he's had as much as there's the superstar guys, there's just as many guys who are Zach Harrison level players who go in this range and end up having quality careers and end up making them a pretty good penny, as we've seen with Hubbard and Draymond Jones and Davon Hamilton most recently. I do think Hubbard is uh, a really good comparison here. That feels like to me, if that's how this would work out, and that would work out by being part of a young core that's trying to do something in Atlanta yep. for Zach Harrison. So they took Drake London as a receiver in the first round last year. They took Bijan Robinson as a running back. They took Kyle Pitts a couple of years ago. They're really investing in the young skill guys. They have Desmond Ritter. Are they going to try him as their quarterback of the future? So you throw Zach Harrison in on the defensive line. And this is a team. And if, you know, Sam Hubbard grew with the Bengals, maybe Zach Harrison can grow with the Falcons. I was just watching, you know, you watch some of the, content from the teams after they come out. I was watching the clip of the defensive coordinator for the Falcons and the area scout for Zach Harrison talking about him. And it's funny, the main thing they talked about, one was length, and we were talking about wingspan with him, just like, and the other was motor. And motor is a code word sometimes for, well, you know, he's not Chase Young, right? That it's like, he's a tryhard guy. So it's an interesting combination though, because they were talking about high character, high football character going to fit in the locker room, going to do well in the community. And again, like normally, you know, like Bryce Young might be a great guy. When you draft Bryce Young, you're not like, oh, great in the community. It's like, no, it's a franchise quarterback. You know, like Will Anderson, first edge guy off the board, is not like, oh, football character. It's like, no, crazy traits through the roof. But he also does have the traits. So this could be, but he also, he actually does have the character. Like he is a, like there is, he is a, a hundred out of a hundred. Like you put Zach Harrison in your building, he's going to do what he's supposed to do, do it as hard as he can every day and cause no problems and be a guy that, that people can fall in line with. Or he can follow if other people want to lead. So like there's nothing wrong with Zach. So they just need, you know, you get some, if they, if the skill guys hit in Atlanta, then Zach, Zach Harrison can be their Sam Hubbard, which is like, hey, like a starter on a good defense, let's go do this thing. So. I think a good spot for Zach Harrison. And um, in the end, sometimes, Nathan, you have to have appreciation for normal and for very good. Because often we end up talking, we end up writing about spectacular, spectacular, or disastrous. And this was just very good from the jump all the way through up until he got picked in the 70s, where he'll also probably be very good. So congratulations to Zach Harrison. I was thinking about this the other day, that I wondered if he had come as a four-star prospect, if we would be talking about him 
um, it, like as one of our favorite guys that's come through here in the last few years. And it's not that we don't like him, but I felt like he was just so guarded for so much of his career. Like that conversation that you and I had with him in the hall at the Combine, Doug, was very different than a lot of the conversations that we had with him for a good chunk of his career. I thought he did kind of start to come out of his shell a little bit later on, but he, there's definitely a personality there that I think is a lot of fun. And now I think the, the expectations, um, obviously the, you know, the stakes are still very high and he's going to have to go prove himself in the NFL. But I wonder if it can just be a more enjoyable experience for him too, in some ways. So that went normal and then it wasn't normal. So there are times when we predict things and I've, I, I like doing this with, with the guys that we cover because, as I said this before, I, I honestly feel like they don't, but like I think scouts could talk to us. Like we have a handle on these guys. We understand how they're used, how they fit, like what, what, what they can be. So when we tell you, we don't know the rest. We don't know the context, but we know the players. We watch every single snap these guys play their entire career. We watch them when they're young. We watch them in practice. We remember them when they're young and raw, and we see how they develop. And so sometimes you get a real handle on on how you how a guy is going to be at the next level, or you get a real handle on how he's going to be viewed. And then sometimes you're with. And there are times where you just think, I think this is going to happen. And we with on the two offensive linemen that got drafted after Paris Johnson. So we'll start with Dewan Jones. And the, the idea that I'm going to say a sentence that's we whiffed. And then the back of that sentence is, and they both ended up with the Browns. But it's not <laughs> like I don't think that com statement ever. <laughs> but but I don't think that context is uh, the stupid Browns took the guys that nobody else wanted. It's like I actually think Dewan Jones and Luke Whipler make a tremendous amount of sense for the Browns, especially at the spots they got picked because. I said Jawan Jones was going to be the 28th pick in the draft. Nathan said he would be 38th. Steven said he would be 41st. And he went 111 in the fourth round, Nathan. And he was on big boards like the fifth or sixth tackle, kind of. He wound up as the 10th tackle drafted, I believe. Um, he got hurt a little bit that there were four tackles in the top 14 picks, including Paris. Then tackles went 27th. The next one, there were no tackles in the second round. So it's like, hey, was, why wasn't Dewan Jones a second round pick? It's like, well, no tackles were second round picks. It's like, okay, so there's a gap. Then a tackle went at 65 in the third round. A tackle went at 92 in the third round. Then in the fourth round, 103, 106, and then Dewan at 111. So if he was projected, Nathan, as maybe the sixth tackle on big boards, he was the 10th tackle. And there's one or two of those tackles who went ahead of him that actually minded up playing guard. So it wasn't that he fell in his group ridiculously, but his whole group didn't go as high as people thought they were going to go. So there's a couple things here, but in general, Dewand at 111, Nathan, how surprised are you by that? No, I'm surprised. And it's because all along the the conversation was, I think you're hitting at it, is he's in that group. He's in that tier. But 
is he pulling himself up, pushing himself up, whatever you want to use, to get into the back of that other tier? Is he going to latch on and win a team that really wants a tackle and the, the best five have already gone and they're, you know, the Chiefs drafting at 31, whatever. Like all those things were plausible. And in, especially in the case of Jones, you know, these were conversations that we were having with people at the Combine that were sort of reaffirming that, um, you know, okay, well, uh, I remember who, who was it we were talking to that said they had a second round, second round grade on him, but that probably means he's actually a first rounder because that's what always happens with tackles. I can't remember who we were having that conversation with, Doug, but um, maybe Dane, maybe Dane Brugler. It might have been Dane Brugler, Dane? yeah. So we, I don't think that this was uh, certainly just wish casting on our part that we thought, uh, well, he's a big guy and he went to Ohio State and he's going to rise. Like there was, there was credible. Uh, evidence out there that he should rise. I thought the the text you sent today to our subscribers, though, I thought used a good phrase, which was, and it, it may apply to Whipler too, we don't know. But there's definitely scuttlebutt out there as it relates to Jones about him sort of not seizing the opportunity here, like not making the most of the draft, pre-draft opportunity. There was some reporting by Bob McGinn with a lot of anonymous stuff, and it's the, it's the same guy that put out the S2 cognitive stuff about CJ Stroud, but of, of executives who were questioning Jones and you, you, as you said, um, our, our guest, um, from James NFL Palmer to James Palmer, um, also said that there were executives who were kind of put off that, that Jones showed up to Ohio State's pro day and just kind of stood around. And maybe at the time, I really, there are a lot of things that when I look back through this, I'm like, maybe I should have second guessed something like mm -hmm. he, he weighed 374 at the combine after being listed at 360 at Ohio State. And when you hear that, you're like, well, okay, they fudged the numbers, whatever. But look how good he looks at three for 374. We even talked about that, right? I remember talking about with you about that on the pod. And so we kind of maybe pushed that aside. And then, like, he doesn't work out at Pro Day. But it's like, well, but look at how well he actually did at the Combine. Like, he, he went ran the 40, and people thought that was good. And he put up – like – you could excuse all these things that now when you look at them in retrospect, if you look at them through an evaluator's eyes, I, I'm maybe I, I see where they were coming from a little bit, why his stock started to drop a little bit or a lot, as it, as it turned out. Uh, part of my reasoning for, I think, why I was the lowest of us three, even though I was still in the same range, was that idea of, I think I said this, I think he peaked too early um, with the buzz that was around him. And that may have also been peaking in his approach because there was a lot of buzz coming out of that first day of the senior uh, senior bowl. But we have to remember that that was one day and then he shut it down for the rest of the week. Now he got hurt. So that's part of that. But it was like, if that was the highest his stock ever was that first day of the senior bowl, it felt like it's been crumbling now and ever since. So I'm not shocked he fell. I'm shocked he fell this far. Maybe if he'd have fell to like 60 or 70, I'd have been like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. He didn't really do anything. And if the weight problem is – I mean, that was the thing that was a problem in Ohio State is because this dude ever get in the shape. And if he got in the shape and it hits, it could be something special. And it ended up being something special for two years. But uh, you, you said it earlier, Doug, the idea like, – we don't always know the context – we don't know what guys' process, draft process is and the decision-making they're making and who's always in their camp and giving them different advice. But it would seem that the scuttlebutts that's starting to come out with DeWan Jones is his process probably wasn't applied the right way. And it's led to peaking in what the senior bowl was in, what, February? And now we're at draft time, and he went a lot lower than all of us were maybe expecting him to go. So the thing that's tough, and it's interesting about this process, 
is that in this window, this is the one time in your life when you're responsible to nobody else. Nobody else is counting on you. You're not letting your team down if you don't maximize yourself. You're only letting down one person, and he didn't maximize himself. There is a scenario where he goes two rounds higher here. Mm -hmm. There is a world where he presents himself in a way that people can't help themselves from drafting Dewan Jones. And sort of for him, on behalf of him, I'm disappointed. But it's not like I'm disappointed in him because it doesn't affect anybody. I'm disappointed for him because you you wish everybody maximizes themselves. And sometimes in this process... Once you don't have to worry about school stuff anymore and you go and you have a private workout guy and you go do stuff, guys come back and you're like, oh, I didn't know you were going to look like that. And it's like, how come you didn't look like that when you were playing college ball? It's like, well, A, I wasn't trying to get millions of dollars and B, I had to go to class. So now all I do is I just work on sculpting my body. And so if he went up, if he was listed, his weight was listed higher than it was at Ohio State. And when he got to pro day at Ohio State, like instead of getting weighed, he said, like, I'll stand on my combine weight, which I think is sort of like Mm -hmm. a funny thing to say, but it's also like, dude, like the whole league's here. Get on scale. So I would say this to Dewan's face. I think the pro I think he let himself down in the process. And I think the people around him let himself down in the process. So what happens now? Well, you can't go back in time. What can you do? You can get in the league and bust it. You get in the league and earn your money. You get in the league and earn the next contract. You get in the league and become a starter and prove people wrong. I think he can have it. When you when you listen to the Browns people on Saturday talk about him, Nathan, after drafting him, athleticism, nimble. They want their tackles to pull. They think he can get out and do that. By the way, as you wrote in our story, he's also the biggest guy in the draft. He has a gigantic wingspan. He is a rare guy. So the team that takes him at 111 is like, hey, this is like a super athletic guy who can maul people in the run game and has good enough feet to be good in the pass game. And then it's like, well, then how did he get into the hundreds? How did this happen? It's because he didn't maximize who he is. Because at his maximum, you can't be like him. You can't make his, you can't add wingspan. You can't make yourself be that athletic at that size if you don't have it in you. And he was a super productive two-year starter at Ohio State, Nathan. So we'll get into this a little bit with Luke Whipler. My advice here would not be like, oh, Dewan Jones should have come back to Ohio State for another year. I just think he should have crushed the draft process in a way that he didn't. Because I I think he didn't maximize himself in this window since the season ended. It's not that he didn't have enough stuff on film. It's not that people question, because it's hard when you're a big guy. If they're not sure if you're going to work, they get worried that you're going to get out of shape and not be able to play. So you have to go the other way and 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 extra prove. No, 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 no. I'm big, but I'm not sloppy. And it feels like he didn't do that. And we're not here to criticize Dewan Jones. The NFL criticized Dewan Jones by taking him where they took him when there were a lot of reasons to expect him to go higher. Best of luck to Dewan Jones. And let anybody else in the process maybe learn something from what he went through because you can't just be potential. You have this window where you are on your own and the league looks at you and says, when you don't have a coach, when you don't have a GM, when you don't have a position coach yelling at you, when you don't have a contract, when you don't have someone ready to take your job at college, if you don't get it done, 
what do you do in the window? And I think this is a little bit of a cautionary tale. Nathan. He's going to get paid and he's going to have a shot. It's not like it's over for him. But, you know, I just I, I, I wish Dewan Jones had gone higher in this draft because I wish he had gone out and shown the NFL that he absolutely had to go higher in this draft. Yeah, you kind of took the, the words I was thinking of, which is like, this is your last chance to be tantalizing. This is your last chance to be a prospect, really, anymore. Now you're in the NFL, and it's all just about what have you done? What is your what is your output? What is your product? And I, yes, he was only responsible to himself. There were people that were responsible to him, though, that I think maybe they tried. We don't know. Maybe they were trying to to help him do the things you're talking about, and it and it just it just didn't happen. But in this situation, with that physical specimen, and it's not just the physical specimen, because look at what he did the last two years. Like the body of work was there at the college level. Yes, they were. You, you had to be worried about a guy of that size getting out of shape. It wasn't like Ohio State had to sub him in, or they felt like he was falling apart late in games. Like this guy was there for entire games the last two years, and I think NFL teams were looking for a reason to say yes to him. And it sounds like he may gave them some reasons to say no or not yet. And that's why you're still on the board at 111. I think Doug hit it a little bit there. It's This is the first time in your life where you don't have somebody telling you what to do all day. And that's what being a professional athlete is. All of a sudden, you don't have this like legit schedule that somebody else put together of 8 o'clock, you're doing this. 9 o'clock, you're in study hall. 10 o'clock, you're in meetings. 11 o'clock, you're in it's, it's It's all on you. And so I I think the, the character thing gets thrown around a little bit too much sometimes when you get in the draft processes, whether you're talking about NBA or NFL. But that was where maybe the character stuff that we've heard, seen about him maybe shows up the most. It's like, oh, when there's not somebody babysitting him, then what is he doing, right? And in the NFL level, no one's wanting to just watch over every single thing you do. The same way just, you have to with college kids because they're 18, 19, 20 years old. And just one more thing real and, quick. When I was talking to him at Pro Day, I asked him something about the decision to come back this year because he could have left after last year after three years. And he said, I believe, I'd have to go back and check. I believe he said something like, well, I only had a third round grade last year. So he clearly had yeah. been given indications coming out of this season before the pre-draft process that that grade had had risen substantially. So I also think that there's a cautionary tale here, too, to remind guys that it's not about getting drafted. Like, Dewan Jones was going to get drafted as soon as he decided he was done at Ohio State, really. Like, somebody at some point in a draft was going to draft 6'8", 374, who had done what he had done. Now it's about, it's about are you going to get drafted and are you going to stay? Are you going to build a career as much as your body will let you have in the NFL? And that's the other part of the cautionary tale here, I think. Don't rest on your laurels. It sounds like maybe. We're speculating a little bit of that could have happened. Well, and this is one of those things like there's only so much speculation that happens here because we're going by what the league said, right? The mm-hmm. league said he's a fourth rounder and yeah. it didn't feel like anybody, us fans, the league, Ohio State coaches thought he was a fourth rounder when the season finished, thought he was higher right. than that. So right. something went wrong in the process. And this is just one of those areas. And this is one of the biggest things that bothers me about discussions around athletes and Steven, you brought it up like the character issues. Like well, when we say character issue and something like this, it's like, do you, do you work hard enough when there's not somebody over your shoulder? Cause people say like, Oh, Jalen Carter character issue. It's like, you mean driving a hundred miles an hour on the road in a way that helps lead to the death of one of your teammates. Very that's different. not, that's, it's not even, it's not within a hundred miles 
of the same thing. So Jalen Carter is a top 10 pick because people are like, well, you know, a guy died, but give him a second chance. And then Dewan Jones, like ate too many chicken fingers and didn't run steps enough in the last three months. And then it's like, I don't know about this guy. That's all we mean by that. Like maybe he didn't get after it as much as he could, but the league, the league will forgive real character stuff like real or is there something wrong with you as a human at your core versus eh, did you get the caniac combo instead of the box combo when it's like you should have been working out right and it's like you know two extra chicken fingers is worse than participating in an act that leads to the death of people so to want and listen like even the brass said it they were like you're gonna love him you love him He's great. He's great. I just wish, I wish we could go back in time and grab him. Be like, Dwan, like bust it. Just bust it. Just bust it. Just bust it. Because now you're on your first deal. I mean, he might, we don't know what Maximum Dewan was. Maximum Dewan, I think, was going to get multiple million dollars more than than this version oh, of yeah. Dewan got. So, you don't want to put that on a guy, but all you can put on it now is go bust it to get contract two. That's the, oh, this window, this window. Cause that you can't be like, Oh, I had a great rookie year. So now pay me. It's like, that's not how it works, man. Like you got to wait four years for this now. And the thing in Cleveland, just with a little bit of the Browns fit here, Jed Wills is at left tackle for the Browns. Jack Conklin's at right tackle. They invest, they invested in tackles in Cleveland. They just signed Jack Conklin to an extension in December through 2026, a four year deal. The dead cap hit is too much until maybe the fourth year of that deal. I don't know that Jack Conklin's going anywhere as the starting right tackle in 23, 24, or 25. So Jack Conklin also has had injury issues. So they have James Hudson from Cincinnati, who they took in the middle rounds a couple years ago. They have another guy that they signed this offseason who's a former starter for a bad team like a couple years ago, but he's made like 25 NFL starts. I think it's possible that DeWand could become the Browns' third tackle. And then if you're the Browns' third tackle, Jack Conklin doesn't always get through 17 games. But it's not like I think Dewan can develop into a starting tackle sooner than later, but the Browns don't need a starting tackle sooner than later. So from that standpoint, like he's, it's going to be hard for him to push through just when you look at the structure of that team. And by the way, if they would like decide to give up on Jed Wills, like I don't know that Dewan's a left tackle. I mean, he's never done it. So I don't know how no, that no. would go. Maybe, and Conklin's not really a left tackle. So anyway, it just so happens that he's a right tackle going to a team that just re-signed its all-pro level left tackle for another four years. So he's going to have to deal with that. Now, the good part of that, look at Jack Conklin and do everything he does because that's another Big Ten guy out of Michigan State. He's been in the league for a long time and has had a lot of success. Learn from him because I actually think DeWan Jones, like traits, probably has might might have more upside than Jack Conklin. So it's an interesting spot for him, but – Without injuries, and of course there's always injuries, there's not exactly a clear path to the field for Dewan Jones as a starter in Cleveland. So, good luck to Dewan Jones. Luke Whipler, I think Nathan is even more shocking than Dewan, falling as far as he did. 190 in the sixth round, Luke Whipler. Uh, I predicted him to go 66th. Steven predicted him to go 88th. 
or 80th. I can't read my handwriting. And Nathan, you predicted him to go 103. So Nathan's the closest, and you're still almost off by 100 picks, Nathan, because I'm <laughs> off by like 130 picks. Yeah. So what do we think of Luke Whipler going this late? And then I'll get into the stats of how we compared to some other centers and stuff later. I, I really don't have, I mean, unlike with Dewan Jones, there isn't necessarily a lot of smoke for us to try to decipher on this one, other than the fact, um, I mean, honestly, I, I actually, I shouldn't even say that. Like, I really don't know. Um, and, and, uh, again, another guy who you think if he had gotten a grade that predicted that he would be in this position would still be at Ohio state right now. So that's the hard part about this. Mm -hmm. The hard part about DeWand is that he didn't maximize his window. The hard part about Luke, Stephen, is I think if you told Luke Whipler you're going to be a sixth-round pick, I think he'd be the Buckeye right now. Yeah, I, and it takes me back to when we he actually announced he was leaving. I think everybody was shocked that he was leaving. I mean, we all pretty much penciled him in as, oh, well, at least they're going to have their interior guys back on the offensive line with Matthew Jones, Luke Whipler, and Donovan Jackson. Now they just got to figure out the tackle spots. So – it's, I, I don't know. It's hard. Maybe I think I agree with you guys, but also it's like he's little. He's not a bigger center. He's a little center, which we've talked about at length. It's a, it's pretty much the difference between him and Josh Myers, I think, as when they both came out. So maybe Luke Whipler looked at this and said, I'm a six round grade now. I'm going to be a six round grade a year from now. I'm done with school. Let's just get to the next level and get to that second contract quicker. And I can just work my butt off. I could see a world where that might be a been what happened here. I, I doubt he thought he'd be a sixth round pick. Nathan, didn't you talk to somebody who said there he was shocked by the fall? I checked in with someone and that was the word okay. that they used, like uh, shocked. So I, I think they had indications. But again, this is another one where uh, all out there, there were a lot of positive impressions of Whipler. And you could have thought after the Peach Bowl, or you could have thought the day that he declared, I don't know, man, I think you're still maybe a little bit out over your skis. Like, I know you you did well against Jalen Carter in the Peach Bowl, but uh, you, you could still do so much with another year. But then he went to the Combine and put up pretty impressive numbers, like agility numbers, and other things that stacked up well against not just other centers, but like all the other offensive linemen at that event. And it seemed like I thought he had maybe reinforced the decision a little bit that like, okay. And when you considered in that this was a, a class where people like weren't that excited about the offensive line class kind of top to bottom. Really? I mean, but, but certainly the depth of it, they didn't think there was like really great depth. So maybe someone like him could rise up and you could talk yourself into maybe even his age being an asset where someone would be like, well, he's really close now. And we can, it, it's sort of like maybe with like Tommy Togia was a few years ago. It's like where you're taking him now in the third or fourth round, because you know, he would be a second rounder if he had waited another year, that sort of thing. Um, so to fall as far as he did was uh, yeah, it was a surprise. So seventh center off the board for Luke Whipler and like crazily uh, fifth big 10 center <laughs> drafted. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. Yeah. Um, and, and, and here's the thing. When we were talking about guys in the second round, right? The mock draft database had Luke Whipler as the third center and the sixth interior offensive lineman. Dane Brugler from the athletic 
in his list of centers had Luke Whippler as the fourth center. So you're thinking like third or fourth center. The third center went at pick 62. The fourth center went at pick 97. So like that's where we were projecting him. Joe Tippman from Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. second round pick 43. John Michael Schmitz from Wisconsin, second round pick 57. Juice Scruggs, Penn State, second round pick 62. Ricky Stromberg, Arkansas, third round pick 97. Jake Andrews from Troy, fourth round pick 107. Olu Oluwatimi, who was like Michigan's best player last year and won the frickin' Outland or whatever he won, fifth round 154. And then Luke Whippler, sixth round 190. So 18th overall interior offensive lineman, which is center or guard, seventh center off the board. Tony Pauline, who's a draft guy that I know a little bit that I follow, well, after Luke Whippler got picked, said two things. One is lack of position versatility, that teams see him only as a center. Yeah. And a lot of times, you you know, they're a guard. Like we've seen at Ohio State, Pat Alfine, Billy Price, Michael Jordan. There's guys who have played both here. I do think with Luke's size, maybe he just does project a little bit only as a center. And then the only thing, the other thing Tony Pauline said is short arms. So this is a yep. Peter Skaronsky conversation. So I went to the old arm measurement chart. Makes me want to measure my arms. All the centers that went ahead of Luke Whippler measured with longer arms than Luke did. So uh, the number one center, Joe Tippman, 32 and three quarters inches arms. The number two center, uh, John Michael Schmitz, 32 and two thirds for his arms. Juice Scruggs, 33 and a quarter longer for his arms. And, and I should say arm singular. So this is a singular arm. It's not the wingspan, which is like both arms and your chest, like fingertip right, to right, fingertip. Right. This sure. is just your arm. Uh, Ricky Stromberg, 33 and a quarter as the fourth center. The fifth center, 32 and five six. The sixth center, um, 32 and three quarter. Luke Whippler, 31 and two thirds inches for his arms. So that is short. And then the eighth center was the guy from Notre Dame, Patterson. He was 31 and a third. So he's even shorter than Luke Whippler. And then he went after Whippler. So Corey Lindsley, who was a fifth round center, 2014 and now is like the highest paid center in the league 32 inch arms so luke whippler's arm is a third of an inch shorter than Corey lindsley who's a gazillionaire now based on his play at center so there's something out there right but part of that is okay well then what are you supposed to do come back and put yourself on the rack in the woody and lengthen your arms you can't make your arms longer but nathan if this is how this went I think maybe there's still something Luke could have done if this was how it was going to go. Come back and just destroy people. Like, just be like, I don't like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Ignore my arm length. I am destroying people. I do think if this is how it went, I think maybe another year at Ohio State. And again, now you're breaking in a new quarterback. You're breaking in new tackles. You're the leader of the offense. It's you and Marvin and Mecca leading the way on this thing. Let's do this. I don't know. Maybe as it turns out, another year could have helped Luke Whipler get drafted higher. I think that last one of the last things you said would have maybe been a big impression for the NFL. You had two years as a starter with C.J. Stroud a the number two overall pick in this draft now you came back for a third year and you helped mentor and lead and stabilize a first year starter i think that kind of thing might have made an impression on nfl evaluators it wouldn't have made up for the arm length his arms weren't going to grow and there was there are going to be people are going to be evaluators who put a cap on him for that and i actually don't think that's illegitimate you've got you're talking about 
all the best players in the country. You have to separate them somehow. They come up with these things because it's time-tested over time. It's one factor, but I think it is an important factor with offensive linemen. But I think that there were other ways he could have enhanced himself intangibly. There were other ways. There were things he could have done from a strength standpoint, further you know, changing your body or whatever. There are things you could have shown on film that maybe you hadn't shown yet. Um, uh, just, it, you know, any number of things that you could have done. It's easy for us to say that now. None of us were saying that, by the way, the day he declared. None of us said, boy, this is a bad idea. So there's only so far I want to go down that road. But based on what then ends up happening at the draft, certainly, I think you can you could look back at it and say, because he very famously said that night or that day at the Combine, well, I had two, I had Two good choices. And when he said that, I don't think he said, well, I could either be a third-year starter at Ohio State and maybe win a national championship, or I could go in the sixth round. I do not think that's the comparison he was making. I think he was saying, well, I could either be the, the thing at Ohio State, or I'm going to be like a day-two pick. Maybe I fall into the top of the fourth round, but I'm still really set up to maybe be an early starter in the NFL. I'm so close to this amazing dream. Like, I that's what I think he was comparing there. And that's not what ends up being compared at the end of the day. He probably has a little bit more of a path in Cleveland than Dewan does. So uh, after the 2021 season, the Browns let their starting center, JC Treader go. And they felt like they were going to turn it over to Nick Harris, who had been a fifth round pick a couple of years earlier, but they also brought in Ethan Posich, who had been a starter in Seattle and they signed him as offensive line depth. Nick Harris gets hurt in the preseason and is out for the year. Ethan Postich is the starting center for the Browns last year and plays really well. He plays so well, they signed him to a three-year extension in March. So, so Dewan Jones and Luke Whippler both got drafted to Cleveland behind guys who signed extensions this offseason at their positions. Now, Ethan Postich is not Jack Conklin. Dead cap, they could probably get off him after 24 but you would imagine Ethan Postich is the starting center in Cleveland in 23 and 24. Good teams draft guys, especially offensive line like this, in the middle rounds to be starters in a couple of years when you can put in a cheaper guy for a more expensive guy. You know, I think Nick Harris was fine, but it's not like Luke Whipler can't get past him. If this is their plan, okay, Postich will be our guy. Then maybe in 2025, we save a little cap room and start Luke Whipler. There's a path for him here. And listen, the Browns offensive line, for all the things the Browns don't do well, Bill Callahan is one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL, former head coach at Nebraska, didn't work out, offensive line coach, he's a guru. So Dewan Jones and Luke Whipler are going to go work with the dude who builds offensive linemen. And the Browns have invested there. Joel Batonio is one of the best offensive linemen in the league for a decade. Jed Wills and Jack Conklin have a lot of promise. Wyatt Teller is a masher. Dewan Jones is going to love lining up next to Wyatt Teller, the right guard. There is a lot of opportunity here. But, Stephen, it's just a little tough because I do think, like, Luke Whipler would have been a game changer. So this is now, you know, again, Luke Whipler and Dewan Jones are on our audience. Ohio State fans are our audience. I just don't think Dewan Jones being back was just realistic, Stephen. I think Luke Whipler being back, given this scenario especially, was realistic, and he would be helping them right now. It's not that Carson Hinsman won't be good, but man, Luke Whipler would have helped them. And I, if you asked him right now if you could snap your fingers and go back in time and change your decision, I think he'd have to at least be thinking about it. Luke Whipler being back is one less thing this offensive Justin Fry has to think about and toss and turnover for the next four months. Even if Carson, because if, if Carson Hinsman was doing what he was doing, and it's like still in the background, 
you feel better about where things are for 2024 because it's, it's, it's almost the similar situation as how Luke Whipper ended up with the job in the first place where we exactly thought it was going to be thinking. Harry Miller. And it's like, Oh, Luke Whipper has been like working his tail off. So when Harry Miller's gone, center is going to be a okay here. So that's how we'd be viewing Carson Hinsman. But instead, just like with Luke Whipper, it's like, okay, new starting quarterback, new starting center. We'll see how this goes. And Luke Whipple ended up being fine. And obviously, C.J. Stroud's the number two pick in the NFL draft. So I guess he was pretty decent as well. But we're deja vu two years ago where you're replacing one position where you knew you were going to be replacing that because you have a first-round quarterback in another position where you didn't think you were going – you thought you were going into the offseason with one option being your starter, and it flipped on you because of things that are out of your control. I will say the Browns took care of one thing that has driven me crazy at various times over my career as an Ohio State writer for Cleveland.com, which is, why don't the Browns draft more Ohio State guys? So the Browns took two Ohio State guys on Saturday. They had taken two Ohio State guys in the previous 13 years. They took Tommy Togiai in 2021, and of course they took Denzel Ward in 2018. Before that, they had not taken a, a Buckeye since Brian Robisky in the second round in 2009. So, like, Denzel was a huge deal. So even four Buckeyes now in the last six years, they had taken four Ohio State players in the previous 31 years, Nathan. So this is this is a thing that people can get, like, really hung up on. And I don't love getting hung up on it because it's not a territorial draft. Like, it's not that you automatically should take, you know, guys down the street but now that it's happened um you know we don't have to talk about it anymore and it's like paul warfield it's like paul warfield ruined it for anybody because like paul warfield's a star at ohio state is a first round pick of the browns i think in 1964 comes to the browns and is a hall of famer and it's like well why don't you do that anymore and it's like well i don't know it's not that easy now there are other times there was that draft when i guess it was the carson wentz draft when the browns traded out from the wentz pick at number two, it was in the 2016 draft. They had the second pick. They trade from two to eight. And then they actually make the trade with the Titans. And the Titans took Jack Conklin there, coincidentally. And then they trade down to 15 and take Corey Coleman, who winds up being terrible. And there's like a thousand Ohio State guys in that draft. If they like, if they didn't want to take Carson Wentz, they could have taken Joey Bosa at two. They could have taken Ezekiel Elliott at two. If they wanted to trade down to eight, they could have taken Darren Lee. They could have taken Vaughn Bell. Like there's there's like an Ohio State National Championship influx of talent sitting right there. They could have taken Michael Thomas instead of Corey Coleman when they wanted to take a receiver. And so that was the moment when people were like, oh, my God. And I was like, you can't draft guys just because they're Buckeyes. But you might have a point. My God, it was staring them in the face and they they took Corey Coleman. So it's nice for fans. I get it. And it's going to be funny to me that Luke Whipler and Dewan, Dewan Jones are going to be in the same locker room together in Nathan down the yeah. road from each other. But by the way, neither of them, them are Ohio guys. Dewan Jones is from Indianapolis and Whipler is from New Jersey. So it's not like their families are saying, oh, my God, we got to stay in Ohio. It's a dream come true. It's like it's just a team. But, you know, the Browns are trying to win and they have a good offensive line. But Luke and Dewan can, like, go to Applebee's together. <sighs> You, you and Applebee's. You got to stop feel mentioning like I'm a t- Applebee's unless we get an Applebee's endorsement. I don't know what's happened. I just do it offhandedly because I only I talk if I talk about chilies, it's because I give it real thought. And there's a chilies point I want to make, but like Applebee's is like I'll just fling out Applebee's wherever. So because it's this would be a great story. The three of us 
going to Applebee's with Luke Whipple and DeWan Jones. We would do that, right? Should we try to make that happen? We could expense who's, that. Oh, well, who's paying? Are they no, paying? No, Cleveland.com will pay. No, no, no. That we'll pay. We'll do a story ex- about it. That's an expensive bill. That's true. DeWan's <laughs> no, no more than yeah. two entrees, DeWan. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, no, I did sort of wonder, though, as I was watching this today, when, when the Browns stopped the Whipler fall also, it did make me wonder, like, has anything changed in the relationship? It could be completely coincidental or geographic proximity or people who know each other. Has there been any communication there um, as to where the Browns feel they got reassured on that pick from conversations they've had at Ohio State? conversations they were having even today as things were happening with with people at house i don't know i'm i'm completely speculating um it's just something that popped into my mind that it is something growing there which is which would be reflected in why they're drafting more Ohio State guys now than they had ever in the history of the franchise yeah and frankly the togi i picked didn't really work and mm-hmm. and, and and i'm, I'm probably going to go on our browns podcast and talk about this like the togi i picked togi is like a one-year guy who goes after three years at Ohio State, tries to capture lightning in the bottle a, a little bit. The Browns take him, and it's sort of like the idea of like almost redshirting Tommy Togiai his first year in the NFL because he's like he's probably not ready for this, but we don't need him right away. He's a fourth-round pick, 132, and then they've been desperate for defensive tackle help, and like he's not part of the solution there. So I do think both the Dewan Jones and Luke Whipler picks make more sense for the Browns than the Tommy Togiai pick did, but also they won't be as good as Denzel Ward. So, and also the Brian Robisky pick, like Brian Robisky is a great guy. And his dad was the, was like a coach with the Browns, Terry Robisky and Terry Robisky is a great guy. And they took Brian Robisky in the second round. And I was like, Ugh. so yeah, that would explain why they haven't been taking Ohio state guys. Cause they keep probably- getting burned when they took him. And then it's like, Oh, Denzel Ward's pretty good. So let's try this again. Nope. No, 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 no. It's not good. It's not good. And I thought they overdrafted Denzel. I was like, I would not take Denzel four. I think that's too yeah. high for Denzel. So what do I know? But I also would have told him to take Michael Thomas. So at least I knew that. Okay. So just like an odd little section of the draft there from Zach Harrison to Luke Whipler. Some as expected, some not as expected. We'll come back and sort of wrap all of this draft stuff up. And we'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug Lamer, back to wrap this up. So six picks. Ronnie Hickman was not picked. And when we did our prognostications about where we thought Buckeyes would pick, in the end, Nathan, Stephen, and I all said seven guys would be picked. Stephen had Ronnie Hickman 186 overall. Nathan had him 206. I had him 219. I think they had, they had him in the sixth round. I had him in the seventh. I'm not shocked he didn't get picked. I talked about this a decent amount on our Orange Brown Talk podcast, talking about Ronnie Hickman. He's just like a good football player, but I don't know that he had the special trait to get yourself drafted. So that that can be difficult. And so I do think he can stick with the Browns. The Browns like safeties. They, you know, they just ran John Johnson out of there. Um, they brought in the the guy um Thornton, one Thornton they just brought in. They've had Grant Delpit there. They've had Ronnie Harrison there. they they like to play safeties. And so I I think Ronnie Hickman has a fairly decent chance to find a role in Cleveland as a backup safety. But, you know, as productive as he was in 2021, when I think you could argue he was the best player on the defense, at least at times, um, I, I, I think he could have been drafted. Again, he had he had 
100 tackles in 2021. So that's pretty good. And he started every game. He started the final 26th game of his career uh, in 21 and 22. So, you know, good luck to him. Would have been nice for him to get drafted, but uh, I think the Browns are on a terrible spot. And then oddly, again, Tanner McAllister, who we noted was not invited to the Combine. Ronnie Hickman was. Tanner McAllister not invited to the Combine. Ran fast at Ohio State's Pro Day. Ran in the four threes. That helped him. Did not get drafted. We thought there was an outside shot that he'd get drafted, but then he didn't. So I, you know, that speed might help him a little bit. That feels like a little bit more of an uphill climb. Again, when Jim Knowles got here, he was saying like, oh, you know, Tanner McAllister is going to transfer to Ohio State. I'm a little surprised that, you know, he's not going straight to the NFL. And it's like, okay, well, I don't know. Can he go to the NFL? And the answer is like, maybe, but not a sure thing. So uh, he wound up with the Browns, just like Ronnie Hickman did. And then other guys not picked. Cam Brown wasn't picked. That's not a shock. Um, Teron Vincent wasn't picked. Teron Cage wasn't picked. Just a couple of the guys. So in the end, it's just six guys. And, you know, they had some guys. As much as we talked about that Whipler maybe could have stayed in, they had some guys who did stay. You know, Tommy Eichenberg would have been picked. I think if, if he had turned pro, right. Um, there's other guys who would have had a chance if they, Matthew Jones, I think on the offensive line might've been a, a late round pick if he, if he had decided to go to the NFL. So in the end, it's going to be six for the Buckeyes. We'll come back and talk about a world where it could be twice that many a year f- from now. It, it really could, it could be twice that many, but we'll do that on Wednesday for now. Um, Lorenzo Styles has transferred to Ohio State from Notre Dame. Sonny's brother. He's making a transition from receiver to cornerback. We don't know the specifics of how that's going to go down. There's some more portal stuff that's that can, it could happen. The the last day for guys to go in the portal is Sunday. So whether that's Ohio State guys out and they're just over on numbers, you think they're going to have to have some guys go out. Or anybody else that could be of interest to Ohio State, they have to be in. It doesn't mean they have to be a Buckeye, but they have to be in the portal by Sunday. So we're going to do that early this this week. Either like we'll either get that to you Monday evening or Tuesday morning where we're sort of resetting the portal for this current team because we know that's important to you guys and it's it's a, a value for us to talk about that. Cleveland.com/osu go there and read our stories off the draft. Cleveland.com/browns go there to read more stories about the draft and that's a particular interest because Luke Whipler, Dewan Jones, Tanner McAllister and Ronnie Hickman are all trying to be Cleveland Browns. So we always appreciate you guys making us part of your Ohio State fandom. On behalf of Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>